Iri Izefs here. Super happy to see you. Today, I'm going to talk about partner success. Some of you have already discovered the wonderful world of partners and how they can help scale your business, whether they give you leads or they implement your software. However, we know that sometimes there's some issues and clunkiness. With that, we do see the emergence of partner success programs emerging in the market. And so with partner success programs emerging to help enable the partners, help them understand how to work with us better, how to work with clients better, teach them what works for us when we work with clients directly, etc. We need to make sure that as the program is set up, that we have the right key performance metrics. I brought in a world expert. His name is Scott Frew, and he's the CEO of iAsset. He's an expert in helping channel businesses automate their customer retention and revenue growth processes. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. We're going to have a little bit of a chat around partner success. Like some people think, well, partner success, we've had that for 30, 40 years now. And uh, they don't see a difference between that and the traditional partner programs. Maybe you can shed some light as to what are the main differences you have seen between a traditional partner program and one that's dubbed partner success typically. Look, historically, if you look at most manufacturers, when they start their business, they build a great widget, whatever the widget is, strap an ERP system on top, and then they go and start selling direct, and then they evolve into a partner program because they need to cover the rest of the world or employ more resources out in the U.S., The problem that most of them come across is that they need to get efficient to deal with that channel. There's lots of distributors, lots of resellers across them. So they tend to automatically go to a partner portal, which is one of the worst things they can do up front because they're basically putting more process work on their channel because it's making the vendor more efficient, not the channel more efficient. And it's not like the vendor's giving up margin to the reseller channel to help offset some of that load they've just handed down. So traditionally, you've seen these partner programs and partner portals intertwined, and and there are absolute reasons for having partner portals like marketing and sales support, things of that nature. But operationally, when it comes to the uh, rubber hitting the road, it slows everything down. And we now, for at least 20 years, have had platforms that connect together You can send data between partners. I mean, EDI is the oldest way of doing it, but it's been around a long time. So what the vendors should be looking to make their partner successful at an operational stack is connecting those data points to get clean, clear data between all of the parties. And if you're running a a distribution stack and a partner stack underneath it, you want to see all the way through that fog of war. You don't want to be isolated from the customer. Because if you're isolated through that channel, you can't see the customer success metrics because hidden at the bottom of it. You're saying if I am a company that works with multiple partners, most of us, what we do as a first step is create a partner portal. You say that's the worst thing that you can do. Instead, your first step should be connect the dots. Yeah, connect your silos of data to your channel partner's silos of data. So take your data and make it available to the partner. Yes. Okay. So you're saying the first thing that you want to do, if you're a vendor and you're working with multiple partners, 
don't worry about the partner portal. Worry about what data can you share with your partners because what have you seen this open up? At the operational stack where you're trying to be efficient, you're going to provide downhill data, which is the price list information, how things go together, configuration information. If you provide it through a partner portal, that means the partner or the distributor or both have to log into the vendor portal to do something. And they've already got to log into their own systems to do exactly the same job. So everything is now 2x for the partner to actually deliver a quote, connect it or provide the information downstream. Then you need to get point of sale data back. And the point of sale data has to include all of the channel relationships Serial numbers deployed, especially if they're coming out of stocking distributors, start and end dates or marrying up the start and end dates for contracts with the vendor. One of the challenges is that vendors, when they push out sales, they assume that in 90 days the contract's closed, but that doesn't actually tell the partner when the manufacturer is starting to track the dates. And the relationship between the distributor and the reseller, if those two are involved, and that end customer. So that's the data you want to flow uphill and for many years, point of sale data has been provided upstream to the manufacturers, but it typically just gets stored and, and not consumed properly. So they're not building this global online view of their install base and their entire channel connection to that install base. What is the main difference between traditional partner program versus a partner success program, which is basically a partner program that's designed to enable partners to provide a higher level of customer success to those indirect customers that came through the partner channel. So the traditional partner programs have always been about the vendor. So they're putting out metrics that the partners must meet to sell their products. So it's more a compliance, internally focused program, even though the, it's impacting the partners. True partner success should be focused on the ultimate KPI for partner success is how profitable is a vendor's product stack inside that reseller. So all of the sales less, all of the cost to trade on that vendor, engineers, trained salespeople, any other requirements for delivery. So profitability of the partner. And this is where empathy becomes a big part of this program because they have to sit in their partner's shoes and understand what the partner's challenges are, not just dictate from US corporation out to the entire world because every region and country is different. To give you an example, when I used to own the last two distributors, manufacturers or vendors would put out a partner program that say you must meet these requirements, 15 trained engineers spend a certain amount of money on different parts of the business. But in the US, that worked. But in a country that's only the size of New York on a good day, it's too much, too many overheads on that business. So it has to be modified to be successful for each region and country. What else? Once you get past the profitability piece, there's two routes you can take, and you're more expert on one, which is the actual end customer success and customer lifetime value. If you're a product manager type person, then it's going to be about product life cycles. So how do I start and end the product life cycle and make sure when we get to the end of that product life cycle that the customer renews to whatever the new technology or moves to cloud or whatever the new offering from that particular vendor is. So there's this customer life cycle, which is making sure your customer stays attached. There's plenty of research on the internet about 
expand and extend campaigns, meaning that renewals will be more successful. So that's the customer life cycle piece. But the manufacturers or the vendors are looking at it as a, a product life cycle and how do they sell more kit through those channels out to those customers. The way that you're talking about it, I see it as sort of like enabling the partner to become more profitable, to be more customer-centric and teaching them both customer success practices as well as product life cycle know-how. Yes, and the manufacturers have to be ruthless with this. We hear a lot of the vendors come to us and say, my partner network's not doing the job, we need to push mm -hmm product life cycles out somewhere else, that's not actually the answer. They just haven't had a frank conversation with most of those customers that are not performing and they can't tell if they're performing because they don't have the underlying data. They just suspect they're not performing. Let's call these like goals, goals or key components. What about key performance indicators? The overarching one for any business is net profit. If the partner's not profitable with a vendor, they won't carry the line. That's number one. You could then go to customer lifetime value. You can look at upsell conversion rates if you're trying to move them to a consumption-based product set. Renewal rates, I've seen so many different algorithms for renewal rates. So there's on-time renewal rates, there's pre-quarter, there's post-quarter. I was always very simplistic, which was how much of my product in the field was under current maintenance. That was the easiest way for me to manage it. End of life, which many occasions the manufacturers don't handle end of support and end of life appropriately as far as their communications package out to the channel and they should be communicated in customer just in case there's a channel breakdown so that customers aren't exposed with products that have gone end of life or end of support. What have you seen the KPIs are for traditional partner management as opposed to partner success? Well, I would say partner, the traditional programs are sales, not profit. So how much has the partner sold of our kit, how many engineers they've trained, how many salespeople they've trained. A lot of them offer MDF, marketing development funds. So most manufacturers offer channel partners the ability to access a pool of money that's based on a percentage of sales to spend on marketing. Now, I'm a bit of a cynic with MDF, only because I see a lot of boat parties that are paid with MDF rather than actual actionable revenue increasing marketing programs or sales programs. So MDF, I think, can be misused. Again, if the manufacturer typically would have a pool there sitting there for access if they got approved. Okay, so traditional partner programs, we look at how much sales did each partner actually accomplish per a given period, number of trained sales reps, MDF, like marketing development funds used or spent? Consumed or spent, yes. Would they also keep track of how many partners they're actually adding to the roster? So I'm looking at it as traditional partner program from a partner's point of view. But yes, if you're sitting at the manufacturer side of this conversation, then yes, how many partners are you adding into that channel or that customer? So yes, there is that view. And I'm trying to give it to you from the general channel this is the channel's KPI. This yes. is the manufacturer over the channel. But if you're talking about traditional partner programs, yes, the number of partners that are being brought on to a vendor's stable is one of those KPIs. 
as we say in the industry, if the resellers start complaining about a vendor, that means they've hit the right amount. Who's tracking these? Is it the channel or the partner? It'll be the channel account, the channel rep at the manufacturer or the channel chief, whatever it is. This would be the manufacturer's KPI. So yes, no, no. most of our viewers is not a manufacturer. It's mostly software companies. So if I'm a software company and I have partners, would I still, as a software company, track these KPIs including the number of new partners that I have. Whereas when I have a partner success, I'll start tracking these type of things. So I'm more centered and centric to what the partner needs. So when I say manufacturer or vendor, I'm talking about all of them, software, hardware, cloud consumption, whoever yeah. the original equipment manufacturer is. If your base is specifically software businesses, then the next obvious KPI is churn. I mean, churn is a massive issue if you're in a consumption-based business. Are you looking at how many partners left the program or are you looking at the number of customers that churn per partner? I think both. I think you partner churn because if you've got partner turnover, you're not attracting the right partners or there's an engagement issue. The customer churn is by and large, that's customer success rather than partner success. But if you start to lose channel partners, it's very hard to maintain a customer success cadence without the channel partners that you'd originally engaged with, and therefore it's at risk. Okay, so let's call that attrition of partners. Wouldn't that, I would think that this would be like the attrition of the number of partners that left the program would also be something that I would look into in a traditional framework as well, because it just says, did I recruit the right partners? I don't disagree, but I think the churn piece which came originally out of telco type businesses is something that's relatively new to many software vendors because they moved from perpetual licensing to consumption-based or subscription-based licensing. That's definitely kind of like a newer KPI. And just to continue the discussion around KPIs in general, as you know, we had performed at CSM practice and market research around partner success. And one of the things that emerged, I just asked a simple questions. How do you evaluate the success of your partner program. And honestly, almost everybody just wrote like, oh, revenue. What I did with your help and other folks from our advisory board is create a more cohesive framework around KPIs for partner success, because I thought that just by not getting a variety of answers just meant that the concept of partner success is quite rudimentary in the industry. And I thought that this would be helpful. So I kind of want to share the framework with you and talk about, we typically build a framework for KPIs by looking at leading indicators and lagging indicators, which many of them you already shared. To your point, I think that in partner success, so now I don't have the traditional ones anymore, just for partner success, I think we can even expand it a little bit more. So you mentioned a few things related to the business impact of the partner program, but in talking to partner success folks from Cisco and other companies that do partner success in a more mature manner, we noted that some of the things that they also keep track of is, is the framework or the program efficient in achieving these goals? And then what is the impact on the customers that are being managed by the partners? Obviously, this kind of starts looking like a regular customer health score, if you ask me. And in here, you'll see things that we definitely don't see normally. So one of the things that you mentioned is partners that were churned and 
how many were enrolled in the program, but we also start seeing that companies are starting to track what is the satisfaction level of the partners from the program? Like what's the NPS score? What's the CSAT score? Is this something that you're seeing in the market starting to emerge in terms of even just awareness for what KPIs I should be tracking to say, you know, is my partner success program efficient and mature? So the short answer is generally no. There are some outliers, some very early movers in that market that are trying to get into a two-way conversation with their partners rather than dictating what's going on, getting feedback. And again, it goes back to that point about empathy and trying to get the manufacturers, channel people to understand the, the challenges that the channel are having. I'm not a huge fan of surveys. I'm more of a fan of getting on phone calls or Zoom or whatever it is and talking to those customers because each region, like Thailand will have a different issue to Canada, will have a different issue to the United Kingdom, which will be completely different to the US. So actually engaging in those conversations and you would see in your business a lot of, I think I saw a post about quarterly business reviews and how to run them more effectively. So those QBRs tend to be vendor-driven. They don't have a two-way conversation. So if you're a manufacturer or a vendor or a software vendor, that wants to actually move forward in that channel space, then you need half of that QBR to be about how do we do as a vendor? What do we need to do differently? What are the challenges you're facing? So it becomes a two-way conversation rather than, I mean, as I said, I'm not a fan of just sending out broadcast surveys if you actually get them answered. Okay, so that was like one of the KPIs. You don't recommend tracking NPS. Like, sounds like in general, you wouldn't do it for any purpose or service. And then you're like just opposed to surveys in general. You can try. But if you go back, when I owned a Cisco distributor back in the day, Cisco would send out every transaction almost, you'd get a survey. How did we go? You know, all this sort of stuff. It was more a customer survey than a partner one. Every time I transact with American Express Travel, I get another one. How do our rep do? I don't have time to complete those sort of things. And there's a lot of articles out in the net about it, how challenging NPS is. So you can live absolutely by NPS, but I, I question its efficiency at a, at a partner program level because, as I said, everyone's got different challenges. If you're just focused in North America, maybe you can generate an NPS for those partners because you've got the same conditions, the same trading conditions, the same challenge. Definitely. And there's nothing to replace conversations for sure. If you are a very large company that has hundreds of partners, you could potentially do both. Yeah, sure. You could do some interviews and just get a, a big sample size and make sure that you haven't by chance interviewed some outliers. I think to that point, the idea of scale is that if you've got the right distributors sitting between you and the partners, you can offload some of those conversations and get feedback through your distribution network for the smaller partners and then either your direct touch or your tier one or platinum or whatever color they have in their program, you actually go out and have those conversations because they do have channel account managers if they're very large in every region that could be out there having those conversations and asking the questions. So you found a business. I mean, this is a fairly large list of KPIs that our advisory board members for CSM practice suggested based on how their business is managing partners. Would you recommend like cherry picking what works for your business. It sounds like you're saying, hey, you know what? It depends if you have a lot of partners in many global and regions, you might actually want to get rid of the partner's NPS score and rather focus on something else. So in that regard, in your opinion, what are like the ones that jump at you that 
everybody should track and the ones that, you know what, it depends on your business. Look, I think what we did when we all got together was get a catch-all bucket of everything that we could possibly measure partner success. And every business is going to be slightly different. You know, some of our customers we manage are hardware companies that manage consumption over that. They've got different challenges to a straight software play that has no channel. You know, there's all these different issues. As I said, it doesn't matter which type of software business or manufacturer you are, profitability of your channel, if you're dealing with channels, is number one in my view, because if you don't make them profitable, then they will churn. If they've got a relationship with your 15 customers, you could churn 15 customers in one hit. So you want to make sure that that channel partner is rock solid with you as a manufacturer or software vendor. The training piece still has a large part to play because if they're not trained in whatever the latest and greatest technology that you're deploying, it's very hard to go and then talk to customers appropriately. However, if you look at the research that's out now about how many times people research your product or service online, there may be less of that because the customers are already in full bottle on your product set. They're just looking for the right way to transact it through a partner. So the partner's now got to sell why their service is better than another partner's service. So there are different dynamics to that particular piece. And if you are a software business, churn rate is absolutely one of those ones you've got to watch because all software businesses are very good typically at a renewals cadence. But one of our manufacturers, they were at a 91% renewal rate effectively on their consumption pieces. But if we bumped it up to 93, that was another billion dollars worth of revenue. So churn's very specific to the software. Are you speaking about partner churn or net retention rate or just maybe like spend loss from churn? I'm talking about partners churn. I think the biggest risk, if you've got a channel in front of you, customer success is all about adoption because if you don't have adoption, you'll never get the follow-on revenue. If one partner has 15 of your customers or 30 or 100 customers and you lose that partner, you literally have the risk of churning all of those customers in one hit because if that partner turns them to a competitive product, then you're in trouble. So that's my point about partners churned. The end customer KPIs, which I'm not as expert in because that's not been my history. Churn rate is definitely one of those. Your net retention rate and ARR, MRR, all of the different renewal type KPIs are still very important for a lot of companies. Have you seen in the market, how do companies that have indirect customers, what's the best way to collect data from their partners about the impact on the indirect customers? With my salesman hat on our platforms, the best way to collect all of the point of sale data, there are other platforms out there that might catch, be catch-alls for response out of the end customers into the reseller base from a, an emotional point of view, you know, without getting into surveys per se. But if you don't connect all the operational data together between all your channel partners and the customer, then you can't even begin to go to the sort of softer, higher level functions that you need to perform to make sure customer success and partner success is delivered. Well, at the beginning of the conversation, you sort of talked about, hey, listen, we need to actually stop creating these partner portals. And the first thing that we need to do is connect and sync the data. And I think one of the things that we sync data on is like, which contacts are you engaged with at the indirect customer site? Uh, when is the next renewal date on think What did you sell the, the customer, right? What are the things that you're starting to see in terms of data synchronicity? 
between the vendor and the partner? And what data does the vendor typically ask the partner to share once the systems are connected? What are the first KPIs that you would recommend starting sharing between one another? First thing is to provide detail point of sale up through the channel. So when I say detail point of sale, I mean end customer information, site information if you're tracking it, serial numbers of any items in there, contract numbers, and and the PDFs of the contracts so that everyone's got access to the same data, start and end dates of those contracts and when they're likely to expire, end of life dates. So if you as a software company or a manufacturer call an end of life on something, get that into the process so that the next time a renewal cadence or some other event happens, instead of quoting out a renewal for the old system, it's creating an upgrade proposal for the new system. So all of that point of sale data plus connecting the end user, the reseller and the distributor to the manufacturer so that you've got complete visibility of the entire transactional POS data, serial numbers, PDF, like the contracts themselves, start date, end date, end of life date. Is there anything else that we should share on the mutually agreed upon system? It depends on the level of sophistication. The one that we've started tracking, carbon credits. So you can add carbon credits. You can. There's all sorts of added customized fields that different companies will need to track or should track, they can be added in to that stack. And then who's sharing the data with whom here? Typically, your reseller is the front end of this point of sale collection or your partner. They're the ones providing either through distribution or they should be providing to the manufacturer directly. Our go-to-market is done all automatically when the transaction is performed. So think about a partner's got an ERP system or an accounting system. It sends out an invoice with all the relevant data. It should, through our platform or whatever means, send that straight up through distribution or straight to the manufacturer so that that data is now synced with the manufacturer system. And any changes that software business manufacturer makes, they should then push that back down the other way so that everyone's still in sync. So as I said, start and end dates are one of the critical ones for software type vendors making sure they are synced with your customers. Because if your renewal date is, let's say, 90 days, your action is to do a, a renewal at 90 days. If the partner's doing it 90 days earlier than it should be, then you're going to get out of sync with the manufacturer because that's now 180 days. Or it might be too late if they're out the other way. So you said that the reseller will push all of these data points to the partner ERP system? Yeah, we push it up to the distributor or the manufacturer system. To the partner or the distributor, depending on how complex the supply chain is. So think about the, I call it lily pads in a pond. Everyone's got these silos of data that are disconnected at the moment. Simplest connection to make for this sort of operational data is ERP to, let's say, ISA.com or whatever it is that you're using. That way, at least your financial records are now synced with your point of sale and your, basically your in-store base. Then you connect that to the manufacturer or the distributor or both so that now you've got ERPs at each level connected to your one source of truth at the reseller, your one source of truth at the distributor and your one source of truth at the manufacturer. Then you connect those together so that all of that data across your entire channel is in sync. 
Okay, so there's a vendor ERP system, also the distributor's ERP system, and this is the data you're going to request from the reseller yep. to actually move into right those various systems. Now, does the reseller requesting in order to allow for a good partner success story here and good results and making the partnership more efficient, is there something that the reseller is expecting the vendor to share? or the distributor to share with them. Yeah, as I detailed earlier, if there's changes to contractual information or contract start and end dates or product end of life, or there's a massive upgrade that you need to get in and have a conversation with the customer, they're the sort of things coming downstream on top of your normal pricing information. Because I had them as part of the reseller. So carbon credits, is that something that the reseller shares with the vendor or vice versa? Well, typically, if you look at it down, and again, if we're talking about software manufacturers, it's probably not the same, but if a hardware manufacturer has their carbon credits counted for the manufacturer of the box, the steel contained in it, and the operational delivery of, then you would tell the channel what that is, and then the channel would tell you how many boxes they've sold, so therefore, how many carbon credits would need to be offset. Can you give me some examples from a software company standpoint as to what are some of the data points that you're seeing the software vendor shares with the reseller and vice versa? One of my favorite ways for software vendors to connect to their channel is many of them have dial home information flowing from the end customer's system to dial home platform inside their business. And that data is used for telemetry and making sure everything's healthy. If you connect that back down to your channel, you can proactively get your channel to do things that they wouldn't normally know about right now. So you can see some change in the, the way the data is working. I mean, it, all software vendors have different aspects, but you can send proactive information for the channel partner to take action at the customer, which gets back to your customer success piece because someone is making or performing an action that only the software vendor's own dial home system knows about actually get them re-engaged because every time you push that channel partner back into an end customer, that builds a better relationship and reduces possibility of churn. End of life date, if they do have some perpetual licensees, telemetry data, if they have cloud-based solutions or maybe they have like a prong in there that they can ping, that they can collect some log data calls to action based on data that they collected. Is there anything else that would be flowing here when we're talking about the software industry? The other step is there are some vendors that we currently manage that have the ability to negotiate effectively with the channel how much, what their consumption is. So they have a license management system back at head office. Then the channel has their data they merge these reports to actually get an outcome of what the billing system actually looks like, but also compliance. So if we see one of our customers, a customer's consuming a thousand of whatever per month, and then suddenly it's 500, it creates an action to go and find out what happened because obviously that's the threat of churn. Or conversely, if there are a thousand every month and they go to 10,000, you want one of your sales reps talking to them saying, so what are we doing right? How do we make it a hundred thousand? So. There's all of that data sitting out there isolated that we can bring together with the channel partners, again, to make that partner success much more rigorous than it currently is. Any thoughts around somebody that just has a traditional partner success program, whether they're 
hardware, selling services to hardware, or have any kind of subscription-based software tools, services. From your experience, is there anything that you would recommend them to do beyond connecting the systems, which could be like a big endeavor in my humble opinion? What else have you seen that worked well for those companies that do take on a more partner-centric approach? Again, go and have that conversation. So to put it in perspective, the partner might have to deal with 30 partner portals. Like if they're a big partner and they're dealing with lots of manufacturers, they are logging into other platforms every day and then having to rekey all of that data in their own internal systems. So the first thing, if you want to be smarter with your partners is how do you reduce the requirement to log into some system back at head office? Now, there are some software vendors and manufacturers that are very controlling and they want everyone to log in there because it makes their life easier and they've got control of their channel. But reality is proper ecosystem. You are a combination of equals, not a dictatorial type of software vendor, whatever the case may be, so that you work with them as next to them side by side rather than sitting over top of them. What would you approach as the vendor or the manufacturer? What would you focus on first to help the partners? How do I know what to tackle first? If you look at most of the vendors, that when we walk in the door, they have not collected installed-based data for anything. They might have some invoice information. Oracle or SAP or one of these platforms has invoiced a 1,000 of these to a distributor, but it doesn't connect the dots down through the channel and into the end customer. So the first thing we do is we say, you don't have bad data. You've just got data that wasn't collected for the purposes we're about to embark on. So the first part is get your ERP system connected into a platform like ours so that you've got the financial piece contained inside that ecosystem. The second part is product management would load up all of the products and services they've got there. The third part would be approaching every one of their, let's say their top tier to start with, what capabilities do you have for us to push and pull data into your systems, which removes the partner portal piece? And then how do you then do that downstream with your end customers? And I know this is a massive intellectual challenge because where I've come from, so I built what went from zero to three quarters of a billion dollars based on this platform and sold it and realized that there was a wider opportunity and more and more manufacturers and software vendors and distributors and resellers to get onto their platform version was trying to get the data connected. And the data connected through a channel, when you see that operational, it just flies. But everyone's still very much, oh, I don't know if I want to share my data. And a lot of the distributors have got just ERP systems, which are not appropriate, or they've got Salesforce.com religion, which is okay, but that's not built for what we do. And it's certainly not built for plugging channels in to run at hyperspeed. There you have it. If you want to establish a more partner-centric program, One, focus on things that matter to your partners and that can alleviate some of the workload for them. Don't be shy about sharing data that you never considered before. And then teach your partners how to run the customer lifecycle appropriately so that they can be more proactive, they gain better insights and can do data-driven decisions and ultimately become more profitable. Don't hone in on just the sales piece, create a win-win situation and win-win tracking system between you and your partners. If somebody wants to learn more about how to become more partner-centric and develop a partnership that has a little bit more visibility to data and creates literally better business results, where can they learn more about this? 
obviously, again, with my sales hat on, come to iset.com, but not come just to get a product review. Have a look at the LIPS strategy and work out what your strategy is because if you don't have a strategy sitting at the top, it doesn't matter which platform you buy, it's never going to work for you. And we see this happen a lot. So do your research, get the strategy about how your product life cycles or customer life cycles involving channels set up and then you can work on what sort of platform or service or, or way you want to deliver or fight with IT to get APIs and all the things that you have to do. Go check out your YouTube channel and podcast, Channel Talks. It's a really good podcast about partner success and how to manage the channel. And with that, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today, joining us all the way from Australia. 